Curiosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs about clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This is part three of a three-part conversation. Dominique has been picking topics that have come up in my online clinics. In part one, we talked about head lowering. What do you do when a horse offers head lowering when you haven't been asking for it? And then we also talked about building duration and inadvertent chains. In part two, we began with mud season. How do you keep training during mud season and the other times of the year when the weather limits what you can do? From there, we moved on to one of the foundation lessons, and that's happy faces. And now in this episode, we're going to look at strategies that let you get more bang for your buck from your reinforcement strategies. Well, there was one that I would like to have time to really explore and go down the rabbit hole because it's a phrase that you hear a lot And I think it has a lot of implication. It's important. But I don't know if everybody who says it means the same thing. And I think that for some people who are newer to it, they may not even know what it means. So you hear this since Bob Bailey. Click for behavior, feed for position. So that feed for position, I would like to go down that rabbit hole because I I think there are so many implications and such a useful thing to understand that something maybe we it's can a, keep. It's a big topic. You know, feed, feed for position. Feed where the perfect horse would be. Yeah, you say feed where the... And 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 I have lots of ideas to parse that out because yeah. the perfect horse, depending on what he's going to do next, will not be yeah. in the same place. So I think it's a big topic and it's a phrase people just throw like that, feet for position. But I remember when I first heard it, I was like, eh, what do they mean by that? And it's, so a, it's I'd an like area to... that certainly some of the dog trainers make really skillful use of. I'm thinking of Michelle Pouliot in particular. Um, mm. She's training the freestyle, for example, and she's very clever in her treat placement to help yeah. her set up the, the next behavior, round the behavior that she's trying to shape so you know is the, does she present the food in front of the dog behind the dog where does she want the dog's attention she she makes very clever very dynamic very deliberate use of the food placement and so yes that would could absolutely I would I would love to to tackle yeah. that and I think I kind of think we may have already talked about it, but I'm not sure. And there's a little goat story in there that I thought might be fun to talk about people's skill. But it was someone who was feeling very guilty for putting hay in front of her horse when the farrier was there. She said, I was advised to do this, but she felt it was wrong to do it. And it relieved her when you told her that you did that with your horses and it was fine. And it, you know, if it gets the job done, why not? But then in that answer, you've talked about, you may not remember this because it was eight months ago, but 
you talked about a dog that was loose when you were walking your goats. Oh. And the way you handled it, I thought was pretty Susan Friedman kind of a person. You really handled it well. So he chased one of your goats. Right. And then when finally the dog went back to her, she scolded the dog. And right. and when you talked with her, you said to her that, you know, she 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 should celebrate the fact the dog was coming back. And so you weren't mad at her. You had this it seems wonderful discussion. And even when you both separated, the dog was pulling on the lead and you suggested that she should take it in her arms so he wouldn't be pulling on the lead. So I just thought, because I know when I see someone whose dog is loose and they don't have control over the dog, oh, I'm not in a good place in my head. You know, I'm I'm really feeling like this is an irresponsible owner. If they don't have a 100% recall, they should not let their dogs lose. But I thought you were very graceful and you handled it very well. So I thought it was a very nice example of how to draw people into what we do by being positive in our feedback to them, even in situations that could you know, where we could reasonably say that, you know, or give them a little bit of a cold feedback, let's say. Yeah, but where, I thought where emotions are running high because it yeah. could have been could have been a real disaster. I mean, this dog had been a little bit bigger or faster. He could have caught one of the goats, which would have been horrific. And instead he was you know, he was just having a grand time chasing the goats and it wasn't really anybody's fault we just happened to be out at the same time and this was a bigger distraction than this dog was prepared for it was beyond the level to which his training could handle so he was not going to respond to a recall under this level of distraction oh i'm in the middle of this amazing herd of frightened goats. And it's just too exciting for me to come to you right now. I just saw something like that this weekend because there was the lake was frozen and we here in our village, they do like a trail and there's also a skating ring. So there's lots of people over the weekend. And there was this loose little black Labrador loose and the owner had zero control over it. Mm. And he was going to all the other dogs and some of the older dogs didn't like it. One woman picked up her little dog and he was jumping on her. And, you know, I don't think I would have been, I didn't have to go to this man because I didn't have a dog, but I wouldn't, don't think I would have been as graceful as you were. It's definitely. <laughs> I still need to, I still need to learn that. It, it is definitely a situation where it is easy to emotionally react in in a defensive way. You know, mm. get your dog under control. Put him on a leash. Put him on a leash. Why? You know, all all of those things, and to react in a in a over the top way that doesn't help anything. And part of the reason that she was scolding the dog when he returned to her is because she was worried, concerned about my reaction. And yeah, so it's I PR. Need to, need to show that I am not pleased yeah. 
by this dog's behavior and that I'm doing something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm a hundred percent. And so I needed to show her that I no, I get it. I totally understand the situation. It was nobody's fault. It is beyond his training. I would not expect him to be able to return to her given where he is in his level of training. And it was just unfortunate that we were both out at the same time. And they, but that yelling at the dog only makes it more likely that he's not going to come back to her the next time. Exactly. Why should he, why should he go to her if he's going to be yelled at and reprimanded? That what he's going to learn instead is the safe thing to do is to stay away from her. And so when he returns, it's make a big fuss, make a huge fuss and Mm -hmm. let him know that returning is just a wonderful thing to do so that you have some possibility that he'll return the next time. And then don't let him practice and rehearse behaviors that are not to your advantage. So when she started to go back with him and he's pulling on the lead, he's a small enough dog that you could just pick him up. So now he's mm-hmm. not practicing pulling on the lead. Oh. And that I, you know, what this really speaks to is let's look at management solutions when the training yeah. is not yet in place. And we have... Yeah, that. because in traditional training, this would not be acceptable to pick up the dog. It would be, well, he should know how to walk, just as the horse should accept the procedure, even if it's painful to yeah. him. Like the, well, the farrier... situations where when I'm bringing the horses in off of the early spring grass where I'll take a bucket out. I don't I don't put a lead on them. I take a bucket out. I throw some hay stretcher pellets in the bottom of the bucket. The horses put their nose in the bucket and they walk in with me with their nose in a bucket because I know mm. that for that first day or two of fresh spring grass, that mm-hmm. expecting them to lead lightly and well without any you know, possibility of oh, I'm not coming in yet, is asking a lot of them. Give them 24 hours and it'll be back to normal manners. And I also know that in this normal horse world, that if I did that, then people would be rolling their eyes and going, oh, that's terrible, that's terrible. This horse should know how to lead. Well, normally it does. But under these conditions, I'm going to take a management solution. You took a management solution at the retirement farm. You said, mm-hmm. right now, these horses don't know how to lead out to turn out safely. And so rather than put my grooms at risk, rather than put my grooms in a situation where they're having to correct the horses, mm-hmm. which I don't want, let me exactly. use a management solution. I'm going to build, I'm going to just put up some the electric tape that we use on the paddock that the horses understand. And we're going to just create channels for the horses to move through and they will take themselves out to turn out. And very often what we want to look for are management solutions rather than training solutions. And that there are all kinds of opportunities for management style solutions that 
are very easy to implement. The Clicker Expo in January, a couple of the presenters, Chirac Patel, Kiki Leblanc come to mind, are very good at using what are essentially management style solutions to solve behaviors in a household that are creating problems for the for the for the owners and that are mm-hmm. putting the dog perhaps on a really basically cutting the safety net that's under the dog. And these are very easy to implement. They don't require training skills on the part of the owner and they resolve the problem. So a lot of And them- it's okay. Because that was yeah. for me the the thing about that exchange you had with her, she was so relieved. Yeah. You know, that you said it was okay. Because she felt like she was missing some training and that, you know, I mean, when you're in the horse world, if your horse is doing something that you don't like and you step off of the horse, that's not considered okay in the traditional world. He won. That's not good. But, you know, what you're saying to her is if you're finding a kind solution that gets the job done, it's okay. This in part is you don't have to use force to get the job done. That's right. And we need to listen to, you know, those that little voice of fear that's saying, I need, you know, I need something because the behavior is worrisome. No, I I don't I want to be able to lead my horse out to turn out, but I I don't want to have the horse pulling on me, kicking out at me, rearing up at me, which is some of the behaviors that some of these horses were biting at me <clears throat> because they didn't know when they were eager to get out to turn out. So let's let's find a solution to that. And this with the feet, that's that started for me with Peregrine because with his stifles. Because when he was younger and his stifles were locking up, one of the solutions that they that we tried and that helped didn't completely relieve the problem, but it definitely helped, were these um, shoes that had elevated heels, and they were handmade. So, and they took forever, because the, the farrier would get them started, but then he would have to finish them when he got to the On farm. the horse. It took several hours, because they were, you know, he had to heat up the metal, and then he'd have to bang it so that it, so that the heels got him thicker and thicker, and, and it was quite the process. It was it was fascinating to watch, but it took forever. And once the shoe was pulled, so if we were going to reuse them, once the shoe was pulled and Peregrine didn't have that support, his leg would mm-hmm. really lock hard and fast. And it was hard for him because then the ligaments would not release and he really literally couldn't bend his leg. And so it was a nightmare. The shoeing was an absolute nightmare because you know, when they're nailing on a shoe, the horse has to be still because the farrier does not want to have his hand ripped open on a nail. So, mm. you know, they, they have to be good. And here we had this just physically so hard for him. And the farrier, you know, they can't in the middle of nailing on a shoe just say, oh, I think I need to give you a break right now even though there are nails sticking out all over the place, there's a point at which they, they, have to, they have to keep going and the horse has to 
told his foot still. There are a lot of has tos in that statement. And and so I got into the habit. While the farrier was there, I just fed. And it wasn't contingent on, oh, you just Anything. picked up your mm-hmm. foot. It was just, I'm going to give you food because Continuously. I want some pleasant associations. As this is a hard thing that I'm asking you to do. So I'm going to just feed, 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 feed to help you get through it. Mm-hmm. And and it helped, it worked. So it just became a, a habit pattern for me of farrier cues. For me, the farrier cues me to reach into my pocket and start feeding the horses. But mm-hmm. it, it's uh, is it necessary for all horses? Absolutely not. But, but it's uh, fine if you want to go there for any medical yes. procedures. Even, you know, we were talking before about teaching the horse to put a foot in a bucket. That's fine. You can teach the horse. But if you want, you know, to make it easy for duration, there's no problem putting a flake of hay in front of the horse while he's soaking his feet yeah. to get the duration. You don't because one of her question was, is it okay to continuously feed and not click and not? And you said, yeah, sure. There's no contingency. There's no criteria. There's you just feed, 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 feed. So hay is an easy one. If it's, you know, if it's good enough for the horse, then why not? But it's, it's cultural, right? It's like this idea, expectation that the horse should tolerate everything cold like that you know right. just force them they have to they should yes yes they should they must mm-hmm. and they must and one of the great things that we've given our horses is within the context of the training that it is perfectly acceptable for the horse to say no no i'm not ready for this I don't want to do this. And I'm going to indicate that through my behavior in a way that is acceptable to both of us. You know, because horses have been saying no to humans forever. They say no by biting, kicking, rearing, bucking you off, bolting. Those are all no's. They're pretty clear no's. They're pretty loud no's. You know, I think one of the things that I really liked in Joe Lang's, the last podcast we did, you know, there's a point where, I don't know who said what exactly, but the phrase that came out for me was, adding reinforcement is not the same as giving choices. You know, we were talking about coercive positive training. Yes. When you're kind of using food to limit your horse's choices, or I don't know if that's how we said it, but because we do that sometimes. We use food to limit the choices our horses have. Right. And and so to make the difference, the nuance between giving choices and adding reinforcement, I think it's really important. I think that's where we are as a community more and more, that it's not just about adding food. No. It's about giving choices. And no is part of that, I think. It's a much richer dialogue that we are having. And there are situations under which we are saying, you really don't have an option here. You don't have a choice, but I'm going to make it as tolerable as possible. So Peregrine didn't have a choice 
he had to have his feet done. You know, I could not do his feet. So he was going to be worked on by a farrier. My role was to make it as tolerable as I could. So that, because yeah. actually he did have a choice. He could have, he could have kicked the farrier. He could have bolted through my hand. And there are lots of ways that horses can say no. Mm. You, you may think that, that I have to cooperate in this, but actually I'm not going to. But I think, you know, there are times when you're right. I mean, there's some medical procedures that, you know, you have to do. But yeah. there are other times where it's not true that he has to. No. There are other times where, and that the fact that you're just adding reinforcement and clicking him for doing whatever you want is not the same as giving him a choice. And because I remember the very first time I heard this, we were doing a webinar. It was a few years ago. Susan was there. And for me, you know, it was already a good thing that we were no longer using punishment and pain and fear to have our animals behave the way we're hoping they are going to behave. It was already a good thing and they all agreed. But I remember when, you know, Susan said, well, you know, it's a continuum. And of course, it's better, you know, that we're adding reinforcement instead of using punishment. But choice is at the other was at the other end of that continuum in that conversation. And that I really I remember that really got me thinking. You know, I loved how we how it came out in Joe's episode when you know and he just said what what training does because it broadens out the repertoire is mm-hmm. it creates more options, more possibilities, more ways of communicating, which gets us back to you know where we started with the head lowering, where you know if the horse doesn't have head lowering and repertoire as a trained behavior. I mean, obviously they lower their heads, they graze. Mm -hmm. So it's not as though this horse has never put his head down, but it's not been brought into repertoire as a trained behavior. And it doesn't exist in contexts that other than perhaps those related to grazing. But Mm -hmm. when we start to broaden out the repertoire, then we broaden out the options, the possibilities for more choices. So a horse could say, I don't really want to pick up my foot. What if I lower my head? You know, I'll I'll lower my head instead. And we can look at that and say, oh, okay, let me reinforce the head lowering as a good choice and use that as information to say that what I was asking for in the way that I was asking for it was too hard and mm-hmm. so now I'm going to adjust my training and ask for it in a different way and I've just broadened out the communication so I've given my horse a way of saying no this is this is too hard for me this is not to my liking but in a way that stays really safe mm-hmm. very cool the way when you start really paying attention to and listening to your animals and letting their behavior influence and change your behavior Mm. then then the dialogue just really expands this is in one of the the things that i'm going to be talking about at the washington clicker expo part of the, the presentation that i'll be doing there 
So, so lots, lots of fun things in terms mm. of this, you know, but always it is a dialogue. It is communication. The training enriches it. The training expands it. We pay attention to the little details. I think that was in part the discussion why we spent an hour on 28 seconds in the training <laughs> was there were so many details that were sitting mm. in those 28 seconds. And, and we, we saw loopy training came into play, you know, and tightening down the loop and noticing that little flicker of the ear and, and noticing it and doing something about it there rather than letting it accumulate and become more of an issue later in the training. It's all, it's just all endlessly, endlessly fascinating. And what's really fun is that when you start to explore this, you see horses change and you see the relationships change, which circles us back to the team that we started with and you know, really celebrating these changes because we went from a situation where you know, the, the safety net that was under that horse was very frayed and to one that, you know, now there's just a really beautiful relationship to watch as they work together. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a great thing. It's really great. So, so I think that's a good note to end on. And mm -hmm. I know there will be more interesting discussions and comments because people are, they send in posts on a regular basis starts mm. my day off and so there's a lot to a lot to chew on and hopefully we've given you a lot to chew on in this podcast and the previous two episodes so again if you would like to learn more about the online courses do please visit my website theclickercenter.com you'll find lots of information there the clinics are set up so you can join at any time you don't have to wait for a particular class to open up. You go through them at your own pace. So it's a very user-friendly setup. And once you're in the online clinics, you can also join our coaching sessions, which are held once a month. And those have just been incredible, incredible learning opportunities. So I hope you'll check out the clinics and come join us. And until next time, train well and have fun with your horses.